so if that's the kind of micro process for some people they look at that and go yeah but that's too simple and that can't possibly change everything in the world can it to which my response is yeah but the trouble is unless every single human being can do that then nothing in the system changes right if you want the system to change the system is only billions of human beings hi my name's michael and welcome to today dreamer a podcast and youtube channel that examines the interplay between inner work and outer work. Through conscious conversations and practical walkthroughs, we'll be exploring ideas and practices to help you find a deeper sense of clarity, develop your focus, and take meaningful action. I hope you love the show. Hello, today, Dreamers. Welcome back to the show. This week, this episode, we're going to be talking to Alan Arnett around navigating uncertain times, which I think is a pretty interesting topic with everything that's going on at the moment. Um, what can I say about Alan? He's got a, a rich history in, uh, I guess, corporate, in the corporate world. He's worked for BP and he's also, you know, he's worked as an engineer and he's worked as someone that um, really helps groups make sense of things, especially um, in the complicated scenarios within organizations. He's got a very interesting role now as a personal coach and he's you know, well-versed in, in the literature when it comes to coaching and he's got a wealth of experience in that area. And I came across one of his TED Talks and I just felt so compelled to reach out because it was really relevant. Uh, the things he's been, he was talking about with this idea of making sense of things and how do we go about doing that um, in a way that actually works. So, um, yeah, this is, this is Alan. He's a, he's a great guy and um, I can't wait to kind of share this conversation with you. Before we get into it though, I'd like to take a deep breath with you like I do before all the new shows and all the new episodes anyways um, as a way to kind of connect together and kind of set the mood, set the vibe uh, before kind of launching into things. So let's take a deep breath together in through the nose and um, into the lower part of the stomach, into the lower part of the belly. Uh, there's a lot, there's a lot even we touch on within this conversation and it's a common theme throughout the show that, you know, there's a wisdom to the gut that's quite unexplored and um, underutilized. You know, we can connect to different parts of our being our mind is only one of those you know that the heart is said um, within ancient chinese tradition to be the place of decision making and uh, the gut is the place of transformation and change and there's a there's a heart intelligence and a gut intelligence just as much as there's a mind intelligence so connecting to that and connecting to one another through the breath um, the essential life force, I think, is an important thing to do um, with the ones around you. So in through the nose, into the lower parts of the belly, hold an intention for a moment. The, the intention could be, you know, I really want to get into this episode and get as much out of it as I can. The intention could be, you know, I really want to spend today in a really present way where I'm being aware of what's going on and um, appreciating every moment. It can be whatever you like, uh, but once you take the deep breath, you hold a moment of intention, we'll do that together and then just release all the tension, all the all the bullshit that's going on and, and just come, come back to this place where you already were, uh, this place of stillness, um, which everyone has within them. So in through the nose and let's begin. 
here's the conversation with Ali. I think everything's pretty uncertain and unknown. And that's kind of part of, you know, what's going on today. And, and this, what you were saying about being able to adjust feels like a really kind of important thing to be mindful of, I guess, going into anything. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, but I'm just kind of seeing all these correlations back, back to the individual level around life and around kind of um, what people are going through these days. Yeah. You Okay. So you use the word mindful then, right? Mm. I think that's an absolutely key word because I quite often talk about um, a triangle. If there's something that you're trying to deal with, so either it's something you're trying to make sense of, something you're trying to change, whatever the situation is, um, for most of us, we can't change situations on our own. So we have to do it with and through other people. So you've got the situation you're trying to deal with, the people you're trying to also deal with, who, by the way, see things differently and may or may not argue with you. And then in the middle of that, you've got yourself. And we've got enough stuff that we know about ourselves now that um, I quite often go back to kind of begin at um, Daniel Kahneman, thinking fast and slow. And the whole notion that we, you know, the way we make sense of things, we've got two different systems, right? One is our reactive, tense, habitual, um, emotional system, emotional in the sense of kind of, you know, towards and away risk system that's constantly um, scanning and he's looking for things that it recognizes and then he's trying to bring up proven strategies for how we've always done things. So that's the stuff that makes us feel comfortable. So it's, um, well, we were talking earlier so about habits mode. and routine. Yeah, and we mm. were talking earlier about habits and routines, right? So mm. for the average person that, you know, maybe drives or commutes to work every day, getting up at the same time, having breakfast at the same time, all those things make us feel better, right? We get, we've got chemical things inside us that make us feel better. And then when something happens that we have to try and make different sense of, the first thing we try and do is make sense of it according to all those habits and those stories and those ways that we see the world. And the bit that's really hard is the bit to be able to kind of almost step back from ourselves and go, hold on a minute. If I'm, if I'm going to try, I've tried to make sense of this using those stories and filters and it isn't making sense and it's driving me nuts and you know, whatever else is mm. happening. Mm. And the only way out of that is, as you said, through, I, can, I kind of get grumpy about the word mindfulness sometimes only because there's so many people seem to use the word um, mindfulness as, Okay, so, you know, Monday to Friday, I work like crazy. I'm really stressed and I have to do all this weird stuff on default mode. And then at the weekend, I meditate and, you know, then I'm mindful and I kind of recharge. And then I come back and carry on just as before. And I'm kind of screaming, no, <laughs> the mindfulness is supposed to be why you're in the middle of the crazy stuff. Mm. Is that, you know, you know, practicing being able to stop and breathe and notice and go, hold on a minute. I'm being triggered here. I'm not thinking straight. The blood flows in the wrong part of my brain. I'm not seeing things clearly. What I need to do is pause, breathe, use some tools to help me get into a better state. And then probably because we can't fix it all ourselves, do what most of us don't do and go and get someone else involved and say together, can we look at this thing from different perspectives? Because the only way we're going to fix it is together. So, you know, back to the thing I said before, if I try and make sense of it on my own, even if I do get mindful and calm down and I make a different sense of it and I go, oh, okay, okay, that's fine. What we then do is go out and tell everyone else the new sense we've made of it. And back to the thing I said before, everyone else looks at us and goes, you're nuts. What are you talking about? That isn't, that isn't what you normally say. I don't understand you. And then, we, then the whole thing starts again. I said earlier that uh, there were some things that I learned um, at BP and 
um, MBPI was the client. We were looking to try and change the way leaders in BP did some of these things. And one of the things we were trying to get people to do was just have better conversations. Um, and one of the key things in, in the training that we put together with, with some external suppliers was just the notion of um, um, Mickey, the guy that ran the company, had this phrase that was, um, have your opinion, but hold it lightly. Mm. And the first time he said that, I kind of went, sorry, say that again. <laughs> and he said, have your opinion, but hold it lightly. So it's, it's the idea that whatever sense you make of things, we are sense-making beings. There's a whole discipline and industry on that. And we like things to make sense before we do something. That's how we manage our own risk in things. But he just said, yeah, yeah, yeah make sense of it but then when you go into the conversation just kind of hold that back don't don't assume it's the right answer or the only answer don't ram it down everyone else's throat ask questions because you might learn something that means that you change your mind it isn't that you're letting someone else tell you what they think and you go along with their idea or your idea it's just yeah. you ask questions and inquire people say stuff and you go i didn't know that I've it's kind of taken on the then. role as a as a student forever. So you're kind of looking at things with the eyes of someone that that is open to yeah. learning. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was the whole notion as well of um, the 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 kind of flip side of that is that if you are trying to engage someone else, the way we typically try and engage other people is to persuade them. Right, we, we take our opinion, and even if we're not beating them over the head with it. We are trying to persuade them that our one is right and we're desperate like, for them to like us. That could be an automatic kind of way to approach situations or, or when we might, we, sometimes I feel the ego comes into play. You don't really want to be seen as wrong or you don't want yeah, people but, to look at you in certain ways. Yeah. And the really weird thing is that we get taught that kind of semi-consciously right from being kids, right? And that isn't a bad thing, right? Because when we're kids, parents do know things like don't run out in the road in front of a car and all the rest of mm, it. So it isn't mm. like, and, you know, teachers do know the answers to stuff, but there's a difference between, I think, between the kind of modality that we all get into sometimes where it's just easier to do as you're told because it avoids the argument. Yeah, I mean, right? it happens since, 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 you, since you're young in a lot of different ways. Think about school, you know, yeah. there's, some, there's some person standing at the front of the class telling everyone kind of right from wrong, what to do, when and, to do it and how to learn. Yeah, passing exams is good, right? So there is, yeah. we are kind of taught there's always a right answer. Yeah. But if there's always a right answer, that doesn't allow for uncertainty. It doesn't allow for variability. It doesn't allow for awkward questions or any yeah. of that kind of stuff. Right? So how do we, how do we kind of, it's a bit hard, I guess, to, if you're in a closed-minded frame, how do you actually open up a little bit more? And because you don't even realize well, you're in that space to begin with, right? Okay, okay, no, but that's the interest. As I say, this is the interesting thing that we kind of developed when I was at BP, which is the whole notion of first of all, first of all, you've got to notice what your frame is, right? So the whole thing about mindfulness is, I think, you know, I don't, I don't consider myself to be an expert. But one of the key distinctions that I've found in mindfulness is there's, there's, there's kind of one view of mindfulness, which is just empty your brain, go really zen and don't think about anything right is kind of the shorthand of what we get given a lot of the time yeah not sure about that one. <laughs> some, no 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 and exactly and there are some other and and there's another way that i've been taught which i find much more useful which you just notice stuff yeah so it's notice what's actually going on as opposed to empty it so yeah take out the opinions and the beliefs and the stories and all the rest of it and then notice what's actually going on uh so you know it could be mindful as okay, it, you know, something in this conversation isn't working. 
I'm kind of feeling stressed or I'm kind of feeling like uh, we're avoiding something or I'm kind of feeling like we're not getting anywhere. So notice whatever's going on. And then, and then what we taught people to do was instead of just saying that and going, oh, this is a waste of time, da, 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 which is one way that we would quite often respond, we just ask a question. So it could be as simple as sometimes um, uh, I'd kind of go to people, you know, you know, I don't know about anyone else, but I'm confused at the moment. We seem to have wandered around all over the place. So, uh, you know, anyone know where we are in the process, which is, which is a kind of really open question. And it, and it, but it involves some kind of vulnerability, right? Of actually putting your hand up and saying, mm. anyone else confused? But quite often, if you do that kind of thing, people go, yeah, we were, yeah, we did get a bit off track. Anyway, a lot of people are probably thinking the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or, and, and, but, but also there is just the, the, the thing of kind of noticing your own reaction, but then instead of thinking that you need to fix it because it feels uncomfortable, it is just sometimes asking questions, which are more about exploring the other um, perspectives in the room and using questions to kind of go, okay, I'm really stuck with the way I'm looking at this because da 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 da. What do you think about, you know, um, so the sense making video that you saw, right, is, is essentially three questions that I love because they're kind of the foundation of everything else. And so it's what's the problem we're trying to solve here? We're kind of, we, you know, we've been kind of going all over the place. It's chaotic, it's messy, it's uncertain. Can we just come back to, so they're kind of three. Um, think of them almost like tent pegs that can hold hold the conversation down. The first question is, what's the question we're trying to answer? What's the problem we're trying to solve? Do we even agree on that? Because if we can't agree on the problem or the question, then we're kind of going to be a bit stuck, right? If we fix it or solve it, so we can't stay as we are, there is something that needs work. The next obvious question is, so which direction do we want to head in? It isn't a fixed goal, like we said earlier, but it's kind of, well, if we improved it, we'd, we'd want it to be more like that and kind of less like this. Okay, so now we've got a sense of what we're trying to fix and where we're trying to get to. Now we can have a sensible conversation of, if that's what we're trying to deal with, what options do we have in the middle? How mm. do we get there? And all the people, this kind of became really stark to me about four years ago. There's a client that I've been coaching you know, the organization I've been doing coaching with them for four or five years off, off the back of some of their leadership development programs. And I found myself trying to explain this to one person. And then I found myself trying to explain it to someone else. And I ended up writing this down and, and kind of typing out two and a half pages and going, this is what I need you to think about. And everyone I gave it to went, oh, well, this is amazing. Okay, thank you. And then started to practice that with their teams. And I've ended up in this organization I don't know what it is now, a couple of hundred people that I've coached and every single person has got the document. I've tried to avoid giving it to them. I've tried not to pre, you know, prejudge what it is they're going to need. But at some point in the whole coaching process, everyone, nearly everyone says to me uh, things like, um, I've got a problem with an individual or, or um, I need my team to step up or we're dealing with stuff that's really confusing. And when we get into the conversation of what's needed, the reason that the problem came up in the first place is because they've got into this, what we were talking about earlier, the kind of more controlled mechanical way of doing things. Mm. And people have literally stopped thinking for themselves. They come into work every day and they wait to be told what to do or they just follow the process or they just do what they did the day before because it's easier. And if it's easier, people will default to that um, because they, they kind of try some of the other things, but it doesn't work. I feel like, and, I feel like that's happened. I mean, it's going to kind of take things a little bit deeper, but I feel like that's happened no. on, on a collective level across the planet. 
I feel like we've all kind of um, got into that mode of, you know, business as usual and um, kind of that, that automatic kind of decision-making process. And, you know, if you consider all the noise out there with, with all the distractions and kind of the ever growing kind of um, exponential kind of projection of technology, I think, you know, things seem to be kind of speeding up and, when something like what's recently happened takes place, I feel as though it gives people that, I guess, like a bit of a circuit breaker and, and a chance to reevaluate what's going on. So everything you were talking about, I, I know you were kind of talking about these questions from uh, a group perspective, but they can also be applied on an individual basis, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, you're right. Um, you know, think about it this way. Um, one of the one of the metaphors that I quite often use with people, uh, actually, let me check. Do you drive? Do I drive? Yeah, drive a car. Uh, sometimes. Okay, so you've passed. Sorry, I'm only asking because these days I don't know anymore, right? I used to assume everyone drove, yeah. but actually not everyone does. But if you just think about the process of learning to drive, right? Before you drive, you're kind of really um, keen to want to learn to drive because it, gives you you know freedom and flexibility mm. and all i remember that stuff. first day i got my license good because yeah. that's my favorite story right the, but also before that the first day you got in a car to try and drive right mm. and you know most of us do that with the driving instructor and you're really keen and excited and all the rest of it and then this crazy person gives you these instructions of okay i need you to put your left foot on the clutch and your right foot on the gas. And I need you to put it in gear and hold the handbrake and look in the mirror and all the rest of it. And you're suddenly thinking, I've just lost control of my body. What the hell are they talking about? Mm. I can't possibly do it. It kind of all made sense in theory, mm. but I can't do it. And, and, and then with me, the first thing that happens is you then try and pull away and stall the car. Right. And I quite often say that if it's a long time ago now, it's kind of uh, 40 odd years ago, but I quite often look back and think, I think my driving instructor's main job in the first couple of lessons was stopping me killing anyone. And that involved him and me and anyone else who was around because you're, you're, you are not in control of the vehicle. Right. And then you get better over the first few lessons and you kind of start to learn the mechanics of how the car moves. And then you can concentrate on the thing you're trying to do, which is drive and actually get somewhere. And then when you pass your test, what you've done is automated that whole process. All of the mm. mechanics of driving the car are all automatic. And now you can concentrate on you know, where you're going, people crossing the road and all kinds of other things to the point now where, um, uh, you know, as I said before, people that drive to work every day, and I've tested this with hundreds, if not thousands of people now, right? Mm. Almost no one thinks about driving. The only time they think about driving is when they get annoyed because there's an accident in front or they have to go a different way or something happens where they can't do it on autopilot. Mm. The rest of the time we're on autopilot and we need to kind of recognize that that's a good thing. We are built to have an autopilot that lets us automate a, a vast proportion of what we do. You know, what's really interesting about that story, Alan, it's, it's, yeah. it's the idea that in the beginning, when you're learning to drive, it's a struggle and it's a real struggle. And you, and you're probably, you know, you could probably kill yourself in that process, but once you get that freedom, it's the most beautiful, liberating feeling. I remember that day and I remember feeling like I could go wherever I want. What's, you know, the, the, the possibilities yeah. open up. And I think what that, that kind of brings to my mind is this idea of decision-making and this idea of when you've got a really kind of a problem you're really struggling with. And it's yeah. kind of like a battle between your heart and your mind and your mind 
is kind of telling you one thing, you know, um, everything that you've learned and experienced up until that point is kind of being yeah. processed through your mind. But then your heart is kind of sometimes, if you can learn to feel into that, it has a whole wealth of experience that is almost untapped. And, and usually when we make decisions based on things that are expansive and open up possibilities, like, you know, the way driving does, um, and, and, and kind of overcome those initial hurdles of discomfort, I, I feel like we can get somewhere beautiful. That's kind of what I'm getting from this analogy. Yeah, absolutely. And there's that whole thing that, I don't know if this was the same for you. I was, I was one of those weird people that after I left school, I was always still interested in learning. And that's partly just because of my personality. I'm, you know, the other way of saying that is I'm always looking at things and going, that's a dumb way to do it. Why don't we do it differently? <laughs> trying to change things. It, you know, they kind of come together, right? But there is also the thing that we were talking about before about how we get taught a particular way, a, a particular way of learning in school and uni and that kind of thing, right? But the way we actually learn to do the important stuff, if you like, like, you know, walk, talk, breathe, drive cars and do, do stuff instead of just think about stuff mm -hmm. is actually by being able to get into that place where we let go of the control and we just have to work it out we just have to start doing it and and feel uncomfortable and i think one of the you know you were saying earlier about we kind of fall into a particular way of doing things and falling into habits and that's because we don't like that discomfort with you know there's a thing that um while we're kids we kind of think it's okay to learn and then when we get grown-ups it's kind of, no, 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 I don't have any, it isn't that we don't have anything to learn, but it's kind of, no, I don't need to get uncomfortable anymore. I don't need to uh, be embarrassed. I don't need to sit next to anyone and, you know, um, embarrass myself about the fact I can't do something, particularly, um, and this is true of all of us, but I keep going back to the organizational context because it's the one I know best, right? But mm. particularly senior leaders inside organizations have been, have been promoted because they're good. So you kind of do stuff and you're not quite sure what it is you did that made the difference, but you get promoted and you go, hey, I must be really cool. And you get paid more money and a better car and, and then you go up and up and up to the point where one of the hardest things for leaders to do is actually learn <laughs> because they're kind of working things out at a particular level. But the one thing they must never do is, you know, show fear, <laughs> show, they, show they don't know what to do, which is, which is why we love leaders who do do that, who, who say things like, I don't have all the answers. Can we sit down together and try and work this thing out? We're a bit confused because lots of leaders do tell us they think they have the answers. And then when the answers are rubbish, we sit there and look at them and go, really? That's what, you know, mention no names in current politics, right? But we do that all the time. We kind of look at people and think, you think you're making complete sense and we all know you're not. Okay, whatever. And the dialogue doesn't happen. So this thing about you know, we all have our own habits. We all have things we're not paying attention to. And just like you said, this is why I get, even though I talk a lot about the organizational context, what I'm most passionate about is working with individuals because um, the things I've learned, actually, let me put it this way, right? At a, at a really personal level, I kind of struggled with me and my career and a whole load of things for the first 30 years of my life probably when you know when I was a kid I was really shy the classic introvert you know a bit geeky um didn't have many friends I had a really bad stammer from the age of about 11 through to kind of late 20s 30s which was all to do with me and expression and a whole bunch of other stuff and in all the stuff that I've achieved since if you like in the second 30 years where I always start now when I get stuck is I go back to me 
and I go, okay, I'm trying to do things. I'm trying to make things happen out there. The stuff I'm trying to make out there isn't happening. So what do I do? I'm going to go and sit in my office for a day or an hour. You know, sometimes now it takes five minutes. Sometimes it takes five days, sometimes five weeks, right? There's no perfect thing to this, but I'm going to go back to what's the thing I'm not doing. What's the thing I'm missing? What am I not paying attention to? And then I'll find out what I'm not paying attention to back to the mindfulness thing again. It's like, right. If I really stop, I just calm down. I just go quiet for a minute. And you know, what am I noticing? Oh, it's this little voice from the past or from something else, or you're doing that thing again, right? Sometimes it's um, very personal. Sometimes it's just a habit that I've missed mm. that I'm doing. It's like in this situation, you don't need to be doing that. You need to be doing this. You almost okay, need a pause fine. for that moment to be able to yeah, get I, a glimpse I, I of what's of, going on. Yeah. I've, I've well, got, yeah. I'm trying to help people through this kind of initiative or project to I guess, have a, have a set of practices in their back pocket that they can kind of go to in these times. So a toolkit that they can, you know, go out and, and, and do some stuff to press that pause button and get a chance to reflect and get a bit more clear yeah. on, on what's happening before, you know, re-engaging and, and taking meaningful action, whatever that may be. And it, and it seems as though sometimes that's a very scary thing or like you said, because the habits are kind of got so much momentum in one direction it can be quite a tricky thing to kind of take that apart and and do something differently do you have any yeah. kind of maybe some tips or some things that you do in in those kind of moments um to step away not only to step away as a practice but then to to kind of move through that uncomfortable kind of section of learning to drive yeah so okay good question and that what you don't know about that question is i could be speaking for the next three days right but, <laughs> but to take it to really try and you know focus down the first thing i think is just the most important thing above everything else is to notice yourself getting stuck and what i mean by stuck is when you find yourself getting anxious angry frustrated any of those things where you're kind of wanting to change something outside of you uh you know, sometimes we just hold back and try and avoid because we can sense that we're so frustrated, but we just clamp that down and that, you know, doesn't really help. So there's a whole thing about just self-awareness and noticing when you're in those situations and the kinds of situations that trigger you. And it could be a particular situation. It could be a particular person. It could be a whole bunch of things, right? So some kind of self-awareness and reflection, which, which not everyone likes. Some people find it really easy. Others find it really hard. If you find it hard, I'd actually recommend journaling. I think just kind of um, holding things in is always the worst thing you can do. Um, and just getting a blank sheet of paper and writing down what you're feeling is a really important thing. Even if you then screw it up and throw it away, there's something really useful and powerful about externalizing it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you put some words down on paper and then look back at those words and you don't, you, you, sometimes you're pretty surprised at what you see, even though it came from you. It's, it's a weird thing, isn't it? Yeah. There's a, I mean, you know, I'm old enough to remember filofaxes. Do you even know what a filofax is? No, I was. think that's before my time. <laughs> yeah, no, okay. So a filofax was a kind of personal organizer, we called it. It was like a little ring binder. Oh, that yeah. You could keep your calendar and all kinds of things in, right? And a filofax came along with a whole um, slew of services around time management, how to manage your time better. And it, and it all seemed to be about how to get structured and organized and manage everything tightly, and then you'd be happy and wonderful and everything. And it, it's kind of fallen apart over the years because it doesn't work at that level, right? It doesn't solve your really personal problems, but there is, you know, there are still some of those things out there and there's a guy, um, Oh, I can't remember his surname, David, somebody who runs a company 
uh, and some software and other stuff called Getting Things Done. And on the surface, that is all about, it's kind of how to you know, do things like how to manage your inbox and a whole bunch of other stuff. But one of the things that he says that I think is one of the most powerful things that they teach people is every night before you go to bed, write down everything that's in your head. So just empty your head so it's on a piece of paper so you can go to sleep and sleep and then not worry about it because you can just pick up the piece of paper the next morning. Mm. And there is something, you know, there's this thing about externalizing stuff really helps. So that's the first thing is notice what's going on and externalize it. The second thing that I'd really recommend is um, go for a walk. And the reason for that is because there's a whole discipline in this stuff that we haven't really talked about uh, yet, but it is kind of the body part of the self as well, right? So technically it gets called somatics, but a whole bunch of other things. But if you just think about it, that whenever we get anxious, stressed, frustrated, all those things, our breathing goes, or even excited, right? I'm feeling it now. It's like, I'm really, I'm really passionate about this stuff. And as that happens, my breath goes from my stomach up into my chest and my throat. And I can feel things tensing up and I have to breathe again. I'm kind of calmed down. Now, that happens the whole time. Our bodies tense up and our bodies are a mirror or a reflection of what's going on up here. And you'd be amazed how often if you notice yourself getting stressed, and I still really struggle with this, right? I will be trying to sort something out and I'll sit at my desk for hours trying to, trying to think this thing into existence. And then I'll get frustrated and go, oh, I'm going to go make a cup of coffee or I'm going to go for a walk. And, and halfway down the stairs, as my body moves and I stop thinking about it, some other part of me just goes, of course, you could just do this. And you, oh, that's what I've been trying to work out for the past three hours. That was, yeah. that was the best that I'd needed, right? Now, I've practiced this a lot. So you know, maybe it's easier for me because I'm kind of paying attention to all that stuff. I feel like you know, that's, how, time, right? that's how ideas work, though. Like I, I've got a background in advertising, like creative, coming yep. up with creative ideas. And, yeah. and if you want to come up with something, it's best to kind of fill your mind with raw data, think about it for a while, and then step away and do something completely Go different. Go do something else. Exactly. exactly. I think it's, I think, I don't know, I think it was Bill Gates or someone like that that goes through these regular walks to come up with ideas because your body's moving. Yep. It allows you to kind of take your mind off the moment. I recently, everything you're saying is really connected with conversations I've been having recently. Had a conversation with Dan Brule, who is um, the breath okay. breath coach of uh, Tony Robbins. And okay. he was talking about um, how it's a two-way street with the breath. So, yeah. you know, it's linked to your emotions, but if you control the breath, you, then you can tap into that kind of, you can consciously choose to kind of step away for a moment and, yeah, it's, and then it's really interesting what you're talking about with journaling. So I just literally just yesterday filmed an episode on different types of journaling and how much <laughs> it helps. So this is all kind of making sense to me. Um, and it is. Yeah. So, so the process, what you're, what you're saying is if you, if you can kind of combine these things together and then obviously follow it up with something, you need to be doing something afterwards, right? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the first thing is notice what's going on and you know you say about breath if you ask my coaches uh what are the two words i use with the most often what it will be there'll be they'll, I'll, I'll kind of open up with so how are you what's going on and, and then when we get into the real issue it's like full steam my the two words are okay breathe <laughs> and sometimes it works it's just and, and I, okay yeah and breathe just means pause but sometimes it is full-blown okay we're gonna 
feel your feet on the floor and ground yourself and clear all that stuff out right but yeah breathe is really important which seems weird right one of the thing the one thing we don't get taught at school or uni or anything else is breathing because we just breathe don't we no we we kind of at a mechanical level we breathe so we stay alive yeah but we don't get taught to you know understand our breath and manage it so the first thing is notice it and breathe the second thing is go and do something else almost always and even if you're in the middle of a meeting I, you know you'd be amazed how often you know i said before about asking questions sometimes the things that i've done in in a meeting when a meeting's got really stuck what i want everyone to do is move so what i've said is you know hold on everyone you know we've been really busy i need the loo can we take a break for five minutes and then everyone goes out and then we come back and it's a different conversation just refresh the vibe in the yeah yeah and 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 you because of the break some people just go on their phone right but some people go oh we're not getting anywhere can we right and then when you come back so whether it's so even if it's just you First thing is notice and breathe. Second thing is go for a walk, go and do something else. And then when you come back, use the three questions that I said before. That 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 architecture is not something that I've invented. I've kind of seen it in a number of ways. That, that yeah. Well, you know, the basic structure is the basis of the world's best known coaching model, the Grow model. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're aware of that. So um, yeah. Not specifically, but I think Okay, I- so Grow is just um R is current reality. What's the current reality? goal is so what do i want so you know the current reality is this isn't working i'm really grumpy i'm really fed up i need you know new ideas okay where are you trying to get to well where i'd love to get to is what options do i have so that's the o the w is really important in grow because the w is the will or the motivation so it's kind of one thing at an analytical level to go well this is a situation that's where i'm trying to get to and those are my options but the real question is yeah but what are you actually going to do because if you're not willing to do anything or you're scared of doing something or you're embarrassed back to the thing before right it doesn't matter how much analysis you do and you might do the analysis in a way that makes you feel more comfortable but you you might still be avoiding the bigger issue so the point of the three questions or the grow model whichever way you do it is that you are coaching yourself you're trying to sit down and have a conversation with yourself about what's actually going on here what's 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 actually the issue the issue is not that I need a pay rise. The issue is that I'm feeling completely ignored by my boss or I'm frustrated with my job or, you know, whatever the thing is, what's the, what's the real thing that I'm reacting to here as opposed to the surface thing and learning to have those conversations with yourself. And, and part of the reason that I love using questions is because our brain responds really well to questions. It helps us get out of the patterns that we're in. The other thing about doing this is write it down or draw pictures or do something but back to the thing we said before, don't just sit there and kind of go, I can, I've been practicing it a lot time, long time and people that are good at this can kind of do that. But even I, when I'm stuck, still sit down. I have, I have reams literally of A4 paper on my desk where I scribble the stuff the whole time and I throw a lot of it away, mm. but I do it to externalize the thought process so I can see what I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm kind yeah. of getting to that dialogue and mm. that structure exists in the grow model, but it exists in, you know, design thinking, which is a buzzword in in the world at the moment, right? It's also the same in most problem-solving structures. It's that that kind of three-bubble structure exists all over the place because it's how we think. It's how we, if we're going to do something new at a fundamental level, we need to have an excuse not to do the thing we've been doing. So we need the conversation that says, why can't I just stay doing things I did before? That was comfortable. Please, please don't make me change things. I was quite happy before that. 
oh, but if I have to convince myself I've got to do something else, I need to convince myself as well that the output, the reward is going to be worth the effort. So, which is back to the driving thing again, right? So the basic process is notice what's going on, breathe, go and do something else, move, uh, and think about it in a lightly structured way, right? So those three questions give you a structure, but it's, but it's so broad, it's a really open structure. So it doesn't constrain you because you're asking yourself questions. So you can come up with any answer that, that, mm. that you like. And to kind of take this back to, uh, so if that's the kind of micro process for some people, they look at that and go, yeah, but that's too simple. And that can't possibly change everything in the world, can it? To which my response is, yeah, but the trouble is, unless every single human being can do that, then nothing in the system changes, right? If you want the system to change, the system is only billions of human beings. And the challenge is teaching every human being to be more mindful, notice when they're getting really, you know, it's like there are loads of people at the moment for whom the only thing they can think to do is yell and scream and protest, which is, which is fine and it's great and they should be allowed to protest. But at some point, the question comes, okay, so when we finish protesting, what do we do then? How do it, you know, because the protest in itself doesn't change anything. And if you've seen lots of videos recently, even the protesters know that. They kind of go, this is the only thing I know how to do. Um, there's a, to kind of take it back to the personal again, I have this phrase that I use with myself. You know, I, I'd actually forgotten this. You know, I said, uh, the first step is notice what's going on um, and then breathe. The way I, I kind of help myself with that sometimes is that I notice that I'm angry, frustrated, tired, whatever. And I ask myself a question. And the question is, okay, how long do I want to be angry for? And sometimes the answer to that question is, I want to stay angry for quite a while, actually. Okay, great, fine. I'll just live with that, go for a walk. And then within 15 minutes, I've calmed down again. Or sometimes the answer, I just ask the question, like, yeah, <laughs> actually, you know, I only want to be angry for the next 30 seconds. Then I want to do something. It seems so to it me isn't. these questions are really kind of important, not only in your life, but also definitely in these situations. But I guess my question is, how do you, how do you ask? Cause it seems like the questions, like asking the right questions. Sometimes we can be asking the wrong questions because of, you know, we're looking at things from a certain vantage point. How do we take that yeah. filter off and step away from that and ask, you know, questions from a different perspective? I think one way would be talking to other people, but obviously framing, yeah. framing that conversation uh, contextually in a certain way that allows them to, so allows them to invites them in to speak about the same thing. Yeah. Do you have any ways that we can, I guess, step away from our own, our own kind of, craziness and and see things from a different point of view see things from a different vantage point okay um so that so we can ask the, on, more interesting yeah. questions yeah yeah so on on the broad principle you're absolutely right um if things are uncertain the only way you get through it is by asking questions not by imposing solutions on it um there are um skill sets that you can learn so kind of longer term you know coaching is all about asking questions. In fact, if you if you look at some of the um, uh, standards and ethics of most of the coaching organizations, as a coach, you're not allowed to do anything other than ask questions. So if you begin to advise or mentor or you know get into the content, coaching is supposed to be all about questions. Oh, really? Which is why, yeah, which is, but well, but, and it, you know, it, it <laughs> not all coaches follow that, uh, 
rule set because so that's why my you know linkedin profile says thinking partner and coach because sometimes i'm coaching because what i'm the point of coaching is the personal bit it's the helping people understand themselves and understand what's going on inside but the whole thing they're asking me to help them with includes stuff that i've got experience of from elsewhere so sometimes it's more useful for me to be a colleague and ally to share and your actually, experience yeah yeah and actually what i'm also doing with that is i'm teaching them how to have those kinds of conversations with the other people they work with mm. so there's all and you know if you think of a sports coach sometimes a sports coach will just um ask questions other times a sports coach will yell at their team and tell them what to do and give them instructions right so there's that whole balance the whole time but anyway so coaching is a skill set that's worth looking at so if anyone's interested um look for uh, you know the grow model or almost any other coaching book find some coaching books that have got really good recommendations and have a look at that if you want to kind of develop that part of it the other ways to think of it um actually design thinking right to go back to that again i think it gets overblown i think it gets over engineered a lot of the time but actually design thinking is just another way of a series of questions you know the whole thing about empathy at the front end is do we understand the the person who's going to be the end customer for this the user whatever mm. how we, it's asking lots of questions it involves post-its and sticky dots and boards and all kinds of other things but it's essentially the three questions with a whole load of post-its and some facilitators involved um actually actually the idea of you know i would say this right but getting someone external in who knows how to uh place the right question at the right time is really powerful i saw something on linkedin yesterday with some people closer to your age than mine who were saying we need more facilitators inside rooms helping people you know have conversations it isn't just to do design thinking mm. but it's kind of noticing what's going on the other thing though where this kind you know you you've said several times that this organizational stuff comes back to the individual and the thing that really shook me up in the work we did in bp the thing that made me think about this very differently is that um apart from the fact that trying to hit someone else over the head with your opinion part of this thing about have your opinion but hold it lightly one of the things that we practiced is that one of the reasons that you should do that is partly because you might learn something but partly because there's a whole load of exercises you can do which prove the other person's not really listening now even though we all think we listen really well right actually most of the time what's happening is that other people are doing this and our subconscious is constantly checking for don't like that bit don't like that bit no that's a waste of time oh that's interesting oh we're thinking of that. something to say as well thinking of something else thinking of something to say there's all this stuff going on so the reason that you ask questions first is because if the other if you if the other person speaks first and you genuinely listen to their opinion once they feel heard they are more likely to listen to your view mm. so that then switches around the whole idea of influence from so hold on a minute my job is not to persuade the other person my job is to pull the other person in by um listening to them and then offering what i think and find a connection maybe so we influence. can get somewhere new together that, that exactly. we couldn't have got there on our own yeah the whole thing yeah the whole thing that you said before about creativity and where do ideas come from and all the rest of it it's the idea that no one has the complete no one has the complete picture no one has all the answers no one has the right to dominate what anyone else thinks and human beings are really good 
at ignoring other people, right? We've all had practice at ignoring our parents, ignoring our teachers, ignoring our mates. We are, we're kind of world experts at ignoring things we don't want to engage with. Yeah, creativity so, and, and the ideas, is, it's an interesting one. It's almost like a remix of old elements put together yep. into something new and, and we're all individuals and we all have our own perspectives and we can't see everything f- from every perspective. So no, everyone's got a wealth of experience and, and, and different you know, areas where they're better and they excel, whether you know, that's from a sports point of view or whether that's from a thinking point of view or an experiential yeah. point of view, there's things that and, you're better at than I am. And, and, and even and if you're, versa. yeah. And even if you are trying to persuade person, cause it's something you're des- that's, you know, desperately important to you. Mm. Um, this connects to sales, right? So I've been involved in sales training before as well and really good salespeople don't walk into someone's office and I nearly always at this point pick up a pen. I don't know what, you know, I could be selling anything, right? But they don't walk into someone's office and go, look at my pen. My pen's really shiny. Buy lots of pens. Mm. If the person already wanted pens, they might do that. But if you're trying to persuade someone to buy something really complicated that really impacts a whole bunch of other things, the first thing a good salesperson always does is just talk to you and ask you questions Mm. because they're trying to find out what's on your mind and one of the things they're trying to find out is what's your biggest challenge at the moment? What's the trying thing you're make not making links. progress? Yeah. yeah, what? absolutely. You're trying to, and then you're trying to say, look, I've got something that could help you with that. Yeah. Would you be interested? And in exactly the same way, if you can get what someone else is thinking, it does a whole bunch of other things. If particularly, This is the hard bit for most of us, right? Particularly if you can genuinely want to understand the other person's point of view. There's a whole difference between asking questions just to, oh alan told me to ask questions so i'm asking questions i don't really care what the answers are if you just care about the other person and just genuinely try and understand you will shortcut the whole training process of what questions to ask because we're really good at asking i'm working on in my own life is is kind of links into that it's it's the idea of creating a space for a group of people to be able to um go somewhere new together um, through through discussions and conversations like how do you yeah. how do we kind of prime people and how do we make them feel comfortable open enough vulnerable and ready to share and excited to to explore together like is there is there something that you might be able to add in that area from your because it sounds like you've been working with groups a lot so you might be the best person to ask with that and that's something yeah, i have uh, been kind of you know okay so on. i'm so i'm gonna uh I'm going to, in one sense, be boring and just keep saying the same things again, right? Yeah, yeah. But I keep coming back to the same things because they work. So the best example I've got is um, during the PwC merger, a friend and I uh, both at the same time left the organization. So we kind of left during the merger. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we went back to do with the organization was in any merger, people in the same functions and groups and both sides have to come together and kind of eye each other up and learn to work together because they're all, you know, they're all strangers. Yeah. And you've got to try and help them uh, merge and meld really quickly. So we used to run a three-day workshop. Uh, It doesn't have to take three days, but, you know, ours were a three-day workshop, which used the three questions, but in a very particular way. So so day one, there's a whole thing in... um, coaching but particularly in groups as well about something called pace and lead which is if you're going to try and help people get somewhere new you've got to recognize where they're starting from and not just tell them where you need them to get to right which is true in 
parenting and everything else. Uh, but so day one was what, what, what we know is people that don't know each other are kind of a bit wary, a bit uncomfortable. They don't quite know what to say or what to do. So we would help them by giving them a structure. And the really simple structure was the first question, if you like, you know, what's the current situation? What's the problem we're here trying to solve? But we framed it in a particular way, which was, okay, tell us about you and your group in the old business. Tell us about what you've done. Tell us about all of your successes. Tell mm. us about all the good stuff, right? To make you feel good about yourselves. Mm. And also tell us about the stuff that used to drive you nuts. Mm. So don't pretend everything was perfect because no one's ever perfect, but tell us about the good stuff. So it builds everyone up. And yeah, this is really good. We haven't done this for a while, but tell us about the things that you always wanted to change previously. And also we'd throw in things like, tell us what really matters to you and that kind of thing. So you're doing something that deliberately um, helps people say uh, what's on their mind, gives them a frame to think objectively about stuff, but kind of introduces themselves in a particular way. So the first day was just um, mostly actually um, getting people just to listen to each other and look for the connections to go, well, that's weird. You know, we th because we don't know you, Human beings quite often assume, <laughs> listen, okay, a lot of what's going on at the moment, particularly in the States, is about difference, right? And one of the things that human beings do really quickly is pick up on differences and assume that small differences mean that a whole load of other stuff is different as well. So because of a difference that I see, nothing, it, you know, it, it, it means there can't be any connection between us. So day one for us was about getting people to say stuff and then they'd both look at each other and go, Oh, well, that's, that used to drive us nuts as, as well. Oh, you managed to do that. We never managed to do that. How did you do that? Mm. So just by getting them to do those things and introduce them to one another, they suddenly started to make their own connections and kind of get a common platform. So we'd get the introductions done. We'd spend loads of time on that, right? The best part of the day. And then the end of day one, we'd take them all out to dinner. So that's a kind of really solid relationship building thing. And then the next day, the beginning of day two is, okay, um, right, so those two things have gone, right? Whether you think in the merger, one company is one or not, put all those things aside. Collectively, what is it we want to build? So that's much more like kind of idea generation stuff. It's, mm -hmm. you know, lots of post-its. Mm -hmm. um, and we would do it in lots of different ways. We did it with, think about it individually first, put loads of post-its up, group together similar ideas. We'd get one version of it. Then we'd um, break people into different subgroups and say, okay, do it again. Come up with something else and just get them to iterate through that until we could iterate and collectively build a pretty vague uh, sense of what direction they wanted to move in. So it's not an absolute goal, back to what we said before. It's not a rigid plan. But um, So we'd spend the whole morning of day two doing that. And then in the afternoon, we'd say, start the plan. So you know the thing I said before about um, milestones? Mm -hmm. We say, don't plan the next three years. This is a merger. All kinds of things are going to be changing. But in the afternoon, what are the, what are the next dozen, two dozen things you need to do to actually begin to make sense of some of this? So some of it would be there's some very you know, logistical things to do with plugging IT systems together or uh, pay and rations or even just you know, deciding where everyone sits. There's some very basic things that we'd need to do. And there'd be some other philosophical things of you know, one of the groups that we merged were the two... Um, learning and development teams so they had to look at their whole curriculums and what training courses they had and you know decide which all of that stuff and then and then because you know people get busy and busyness often gets in the way of all of this we we 
we told them it was a three-day workshop and we carved out three days and we said okay you know morning of the third day come back and we'll tell you what we do then we come back on the morning of the third day and they're going this is really interesting what do we do now and we said over to you day three is just clearing out the diary to make sure you wouldn't be doing anything else yesterday you put a plan together of how you're going to start working together now you've got a whole empty day of st- actually starting mm. to work together and that bit that bit's really interesting right because for the first two days are kind of hard enough but day three is stepping into the car for the first driving lesson so they've been theoretic they've been doing bits and theoretically thinking about what they're going to do for two days and then day three you just put them in the car and say okay start driving and uh, what you mean we haven't got the security of you no you know we're going to be here and hold the space and if you want help come and ask us but this is you actually learning to work together on real stuff Mm. Uh, and that made such a difference to when we did that it was the first time we'd ever done that on any group work ever right normally most off-sites and workshops and everything else finished at the plan and then everyone goes back to work and it all falls apart and that but that one thing with the right structure to you know prepare it made a massive difference so that's a long explanation right but working with groups the principles are the same find ways to help them um connect and understand one another in a kind of you know fairly balanced way find ways to help them step out of where they've come from and and dream about some other direction that they would like to move in and then just start you know (laughs) we keep going back to this but it's a good analogy at the beginning of learning to drive, you can't predict how many driving lessons it's going to take for you to get your license. Mm. Right. I, it took me three goes to pass my test. And some people seem to do it after six lessons and some people are learning for three years and they never get there. So it's back to that unpredictability again, set a direction. What we were really doing in those three days was building a process for them to learn how to work together. I think that first step, that first lesson, that first step is kind of the bit where a lot of people get stuck. And I think there's something to be said about just starting to walk and allowing the path to unfold in front of you, because that's what I found within my own life really has made the big difference. And there seems to be like inertia at play sometimes. And the the longer you're stagnant, the the kind of more likely you are to stay that way. And, and if you just start moving and start small and, and like you said, maybe carve the, carve the space out for it. Um, and then and then kind of move in a direction and then figure out what you're doing right what you're doing wrong from there that seems to really be the, I think be that's, the way to go yeah and i i kind of seem to be getting into these conversations more and more recently of when everything's really uncertain and everything's chaotic right the times at the moment are so chaotic you need to make some sense of it so back mm. to some of the questions again short term mm. but you can't possibly make sense of the whole thing because it's too chaotic so you have to really focus down you have to work out what actually matters to you so you can't just intellectually decide the right thing but you've got to work out what you care about Mm. and and then you've got to wade in and start and i'm actually you know i've had lots of examples recently with um there's one organization again without naming names but there's an organization in the uk that i've been doing lots of work with who were really struggling with um trying to become much more flexible and agile and lots of the things we've been talking about right and if you just take it at the level of culture change that can take a long time but as part of everything that's been going on here with COVID-19 they got involved in a consortium to try and help um, build ventilators and things and you know PPE and all kinds of things they were doing and it was stuff that they'd never done before Mm. but they had some of the you know skills required and they just took a bunch of people who were um 
you know, there was there was definitely a burning need. Back to the three questions, right? There's definitely a real need for this stuff urgently. Um, you know, the outcome was actually fairly clear. We need this stuff that looks like this built, and here's the blueprint. Uh, and they got up and running in kind of a couple of months and built thousands of these things that they'd never done before. And they didn't get any um, particular process or train. That what they did was throw threw away all their previous processes. I just had something that was really something that really mattered to them. Mm. And, and, and they made it work in a way that they couldn't do before. And I think that's a, that's becoming a really big lesson for me, which is the sooner you can get people practicing the new stuff, the sooner you can get people in the car and trying to drive it, the better. I think, yeah, I think that speeding up the process of iterations and, and, and finding ways to make sure that I'm, I'm going through a similar thing. Like I, I took like four months off in my life, or I guess that sounds okay. weird, but I kind of stopped for a moment. I thought about what yeah. really meant any, anything to me. Like, why am I here? What am I doing with my life? Yeah. And, and I've started to get things moving and I'm really looking at kind of, are things going in the way, like I, I, I'm still, I'm still feeling confused at times, still have negative self-talk and all that kind of thing. But I, I feel like things are moving. It's just, I'm trying to evaluate, you know, where do I change gears? Where do I kind of shift the questions? How do I, um, what are some other options is what I'm doing really going to lead to where I want to go. And I feel like this at some point, like decisive action needs to take place and, and hesitation really holds, holds us back in a way. Okay. I'm, I'm just, sorry, I'm just pulling something off my screen. Cause, uh, I, I, um, have you heard of the American, uh, writer and poet Wendell Berry? No. Wendell Berry. Okay, so uh, I came across this quote that someone posted on Twitter or something the other day, which was, um, it it may be that when we no longer know what to do, we've come to our real work. And that when we no longer know which way to go, we've come to our real journey. The mind that is not baffled is not employed. The impeded stream is the one that sings. And and I I just went, yes, right? Because it's the, when you're, when you're not sure, so you're, what, what, what you're describing is uncertainty right is so after the call i'm not going to coach you live now on the video but i'm going to send you some of those questions afterwards which are just the ones that we talked about right it's like okay so i took some time off i started some stuff i've been doing stuff but now feels you know the other way of looking at what you said is now's a good time to pause and just ask some questions so what have i liked what's been working what am i really getting some energy from um What's the stuff that I've got questions about? What doesn't seem to be working? What what am I not 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 liking? And there is a thing in one of the things that gets us stuck is when we find stuff that isn't working, that's a problem. We quite often just describe it as a um, thing with a statement. So we say, okay, you know, I am stressed. This is not working. And the trouble with the statement is it doesn't take you any. It's like, okay, now I feel really grumpy. And it links you, you. It links you to that kind of thing. Yeah, kind of in a finite so, way makes you stuck so there's a whole thing about if you flip that into a question and the and the fastest way to do it is some kind of how-to question so um i don't um i'm not earning enough money at the moment is that you know there are times in my life when i've definitely been like that and actually over the summer i'm not because i'm you know there isn't much going on so kind of going i'm not earning much money at the moment is a fairly it's it's true it isn't very helpful and it just makes you kind of go Mm. But if you flip it into, okay, so what's the question then? Mm. Sorry? You know, how do I get more money? How do I actually, is that the question? How do I? Yeah, I think questioning the question, what you just did there is interesting. Like saying, how do I get more money? Wait a second. Why do I want money? 
yeah. and then you go to that place and maybe even ask why one more level so that you can really yeah. make sure that you're yeah under- you ask the why questions to get the motivation right so my motivation mm. always comes back to family it's like if i ever mm. get stuck in anything why am i doing this for nikki and the kids it's like i want to do you know there's this whole thing i want to do but also just some very tactical level questioning of things like um uh so is it you know if i just focus on money that's kind of a slight distraction because the question is so right so if i want to build up you know if it isn't just about what's happening now but what might happen therefore you kind of flip from money into so uh how can i do things now that help me lead to an an income stream and revenue you know downstream or so how can i market myself better how can i network how do how can I connect with people in other parts of the world that I don't know yet? So one of the things, you know, one of the things that I've been doing a lot during lockdown is just connecting with people because mm. it's a really easy thing to do. And you never quite, well, for me anyway, um, and you never quite know where it's going to lead. So I'm just trying to add other possibilities into the mix. So I can't control what happens, but if I just sat there and didn't do anything, it's unlike anything would happen. So somehow you have to stir it up and it's, you know, it's about just kind of getting into motion and trying to nudge things and see what comes back to you. Yeah, I kind of did something similar last night. And that's the reason I replied so quickly to one of your emails. It was actually two in the morning and I wrote a question on my whiteboard in my room. <laughs> and I was, I was there for about an hour and a half, just filled up the whole board with ideas. And, and once I had that question, it allowed, it really, I didn't even think about how this was connected, but it's really interesting that you say that. Once I had that solid question and what am I really doing? What's the point of all of this? all these yeah. ideas started flowing like crazy. I couldn't even hold all onto the, all of them. So I just yeah. started putting them down and then, you know, one leads to another and you end up kind of getting somewhere. And then when you go back and look over that, you can go a bit deeper, you know, this, the, what, what we're talking about when I was at Cooper's, we had a particular name for this tool and it's actually got four steps completely. Um, but uh, one of the things that we said though was be very careful about using this tool. Because any situation you apply it to, any particularly any kind of problematic situation you can mm-hmm. see, um, apply it to, or even any idea, right? How often when you're in marketing before, right, the stuff you did, someone would come up with an idea and someone else would just go, oh, that's nonsense. Oh, that's a waste of time. That will never work, right? We're, we're, we're kind of really good at doing that, that mm-hmm. with our habits and patterns, just knocking down ideas, both our own and other people's. The danger with this way of thinking about it is if you just, instead of just knocking it down, you pause and go, hold on a minute what what do i actually care about what's what's working what's the good stuff here so i'm not just focused on the problem if i then turn the problem into a whole series of questions the mind can't help but try and um try and answer the question so then the third step is actually the thing you said before about motivation why why do i care enough about this to actually do anything right and if i found my motivation given what i know works and what i know i'm stuck with and given my motivation what could I do? What are my next steps? And the real danger with this tool, because we've because we used it thousands of times, was you can take any stuck situation and find something you can do. And the risk is that you, if you apply it to everything that comes up in your life, you're suddenly too busy because you can take everything that seems a completely stupid idea and turn it into something concrete. So once in Cooper's, we were kind of doing a training course with this. And um, we, one of the partners, right? So one of the guys who owned the organization had been... Um, uh, thinking about what to do and he was the client in in this situation he said oh I don't know I'm just a bit bored at the moment I'm not very you know fulfilled in my role so we were brainstorming lots of ideas and as a way of testing this you know he ended up with kind of 200 different things on the wall you know all these post-its and, we, and to 
to to show the tool we just said to him okay terry pick the stupidest idea on the wall and the stupidest idea on the wall was leave the company and it's kind of he was a partner he was earning a fortune it's what he'd always aspired to mm. that's a stupid idea why would he want to leave the company so we then went through the tool and even halfway through he was getting nervous because as we got to the questions he was thinking oh you know i can physically no this is huh, this is starting to look like a really sensible idea but anyway we got to the end <laughs> we got to the end these would be all the benefits of leaving right these okay you'd have to work out the answers to these questions but this is why it would really matter and these are some things you could do and he, you could see him really struggling with it emotionally and anyway you know he went away just try to ignore it, but he couldn't ignore it because we'd kind of triggered something that actually really deeply meant something to him. And within six months, he'd gone part-time. Mm-hmm. He hadn't, you know, it wasn't, the, and, you know, there's the danger that the way we get through the day-to-day stuff is that we ignore all the stuff that we think is stupid because our patterns and our habits go, no, that doesn't make sense. No, that's nonsense. Duh, 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 duh. But the minute we actually turn our better self to try and pay attention to some of those things, we uncover other possibilities, which on the one hand is great. And on the other hand, um, takes a lot of energy, <laughs> right? Because it's just easier just to drift through life. And it's scary. This point, it's scary. Yeah, you know? Talking of being slightly scary at this point, I just need to point out that over the past five minutes, you've been getting darker and darker and darker to the point where your picture has almost disappeared. <laughs> really? And well, I don't know. I don't know if something weird is happening with your camera or, but it kind of looks like it's nighttime and I can barely see you. I'm just sitting in the dark. I'll put my light on so you can see me better, but it's <laughs> no, the sun's no, just no, gone no. down. No, no. So long as you're happy with it. I didn't know if you were videoing yourself. That's all. I just wanted to I let was, you know. But, I was, but the, the, um, the battery ended up dying. So I don't mind. I'm just going to, yeah. yeah it's no, fine. no, it's, but it's no, kind of no, nice. It's, this, this happens sometimes yeah, with the time. It, no, it, it's absolutely fine with me. I just wanted to check that it wasn't some weird technical thing with the no, camera. Thanks for letting me know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sitting here in the dark. Uh, well, and sitting here in the dark is, uh, is another way of looking at what we've just been talking about, right? So one of the challenges with all the stuff that we've been talking about is on the one hand, it doesn't sound too complicated, right? If you practice and get some help and all those other things but i think one of the challenges with all of this is um there was a guy that i was coaching a couple of years back and the first two coaching sessions it just didn't feel like we were connecting mm. and there, there was something really weird and i couldn't work out what it was and i was using all my professional coaching questions and you know something wasn't happening and about halfway through the third session he he just completely out of the blue suddenly said to me what do you think of me alan and without thinking about it, because that's the way I find the best questions come out. I just said, I don't know, I'm still waiting to, for you to turn up. Mm. I, you know, I, I can't get any sense of who you are. And he kind of stopped and we then got into a whole other dialogue. And it turned out that this guy had been playing the role of a senior manager at this organization for so long. He'd been playing the part. He, you know, he came into work every day and kind of put on the work persona mm. and just played that persona. And we, we kind of reset the whole coaching process because he, he, he kind of needed that to wake up to the fact that um, there was a different way of paying attention to himself. Hmm. But he needed some, some help to work that through so he could then work out how he wanted to reappear in the organization, right? Did he just want to be the person in the role with his job title and the, it was a really successful part of the business. He was doing a good job. He was most likely going to get promoted, but he got whole, you know, he's kind of on the train and the train was taking him somewhere, 
but he lost track of who he was and the things he cared about. And I think that's what makes this whole process both desperately important because I'm from my own personal background, I can, uh, you know, I often ask the question of myself, why am I doing this work? And the answer I've learned to why I'm doing this work is just because of my experience of growing up, being a bit weird, being a bit different, not feeling like I fitted in and trying to learn how to express myself and be myself and still connect with people and still get stuff done. Mm-hmm. As opposed to so often, I think we, we concentrate so hard on one or the other, right? So we either concentrate on self at some level and become the rebel and fight and, uh, you know, do all kinds of things just to prove how different we are. Um, at all, we try and fit in and we, you know, we find a niche and we conform to it and they seem like two opposites and that it's that thing of, yeah, but why shouldn't organizations life in the world be a place where we can grow ourselves and still connect with people who are very different from us and still get stuff done. Right. It doesn't have to be one or the other, but we're always playing with those three things. And it's, um, yeah, that's kind of how I've ended up. <laughs> you know, yeah. It started being a thing really for me, but also seeing the number of times that um, just kind of living with the routines and the patterns doesn't work. And we get stuck at that moment when we get put in the car or, you know, when we get given something that's outside of what we know that um, Marshall Goldsmith, who's a really famous executive coach once wrote a book uh, and, you know, I've read the book, but I don't need the book anymore. The title of the book is enough for me all the time, which is what got you here won't get you there. Mm. So however good you've been and whatever success you've had and whatever, skills and habits and beliefs and everything else have got you to whatever this point is in life if doing those isn't getting you where you need to go to next you need to step back and pause and rethink and do something else and that's the bit we're not taught to do and that's the bit i'm passionate about because it's it is hard but it's really simple in the sense of we're just asking us to notice what's going on pause breathe (laughs) do something else and come back and have a conversation with ourselves. There's something and tricky that com- about that though, because when you're, looking <laughs> oh, yeah, at, yeah, yeah. when you're looking at what, you know, what got me here isn't going to get me to the next step, especially if I feel like there's something missing. I feel like there's this idea of accepting the way things are that comes to mind, yeah. but there's also this thought of like, you know, if we're going somewhere else, how long do we do a new behavior until we can mark it off as maybe not working? So sometimes we don't, maybe yep. sometimes we don't work at it long enough to justify, you know, changing direction. And sometimes we're just, like you said, stuck on that train without kind of checking in. So how do we find that? How do we kind of consolidate that? Okay. So the bit that we haven't covered yet but uh that okay so that's a really good reflection right and a really good question because up until now i think um because it's a hard thing to conceptualize but we've been talking about the notion that there's there's a part of us that likes predictability and patterns right and does things on autopilot so our, our autopilot loves predictability so our autopilot is constantly saying okay if you're asking me to give up this thing tell me what you're going to replace it with and then you know as you said how do i know that thing's going to work how do i know it's going to be okay enough for me to let go of this bit and take on this one instead that's 
that's a that's a real conversation but the trouble with the autopilot conversation is that that presupposes that this thing can be another standard repeated habit that will that will replace the previous habit and the reason i ended up calling my business the expiration habit is because what we're <laughs> the practice of what we've been talking about this whole time is letting go of our habits gradually and paying more attention the whole time so that thing that you just said of how do i know this thing is going to be good enough um and you know how long do i do it before i know it's worked is is a valid question but kind of the wrong question mm. because to me every si now i've been doing this a long time right i first started learning how to do this in coopers when we had a creative problem solving process and there were all kinds of things and you know now we'd call it design thinking uh, but there are all kinds of tools and techniques and everything in the process. But the very first thing we did was the thing we called task appraisal. And task appraisal was just stop, pause, breathe. What's going on here? What's working? What's not working? Where are we trying to get to? It's just practicing doing that initial assessment and then choosing what you do next. So not, you know, one of the things about habits is that our autopilot wants a predictable list of things to draw from because it wants to operate really fast the whole time. So if you're driving, you, you have to learn to do that on autopilot because you can't stop to consult, consult the highway code every time you, 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 um, you need to do something. But in life, a lot of the time, you know, walking, talking and things are things we need to do on autopilot as well. But actually, you know, having conversations, making choices, checking, checking whether what we think is happening is actually what's happening is something we ought to be doing all the time. Is there a right, certain so way, I'm, since you named it the exploration habit, is there a certain yeah. way to train that, train that muscle of, I guess, making, um, making that automatic mode kind of yeah. um, the opposite, like opening up on automatic? <laughs> this the, really good question. And you may not like the answer because I'm going to go, yeah, it's really simple. It's back to the three questions. <laughs> back to the questions. Right? The three questions. I'm, I'm going to be, I, people get really sick of me saying this, but then I, you know all of my coaching is about taking something mm. really simple again so in this situation you know <laughs> the issue is not the questions themselves the questions are really simple the challenge is doing it is is no is just going okay deep breath i'm about to um you know i'm about to walk into so let me just explain it through another story um one of the biggest impacts we had when we were doing this stuff in coopers was on one of the partners in the firm who was really bright, really intelligent, um, and like lots of really stressed people and really busy people, when you're really smart and intelligent and you're a leader, you get in, the habit you get into is walking into a room and people expect you to be smart and intelligent and have all the answers, right? And so lots of very senior people get really good uh, just kind of following their calendar, appearing in a room, and then whatever people tell them, they have an instant response for it. And they've kind of got the idea of generation machine and, you know, that kind of thing happens anyway. And that, there's a certain degree of success with that. Right. But the trouble is if that's all you ever do, if suddenly the business is going off course or the team's not cohering, or if you're not paying attention to what's not working, then those habits aren't enough. The key thing we did to change this guy's behavior, he, he was really intelligent, could handle almost anything. But the one thing he never did was walked into a room having stopped and breathed and paused and thought about why he was going into the room. So he, he kind of ignored the rest of the toolkit because he didn't need it. But the one habit he developed 
was in the lift going up to um, uh, a floor or walking down the corridor or everything. He would just, he would be um, walking along or just standing still and going, hold on a minute. Where am I going in next? What's the situation? Why am I going to this meeting? What do I want to get from it? What do the people in the room want to get for it? What matters? Okay. And he kind of have his ideas, but he would do the thing that we say, it's kind of stop, pause, breathe, um, set a general intention, but then go into the room with an open mind. And just that whole act of pausing and settling meant that he didn't re react so quickly in the room. And then in the room, so you've got to settle yourself down. The thing you said earlier, right, whenever it was an hour ago, about mindfulness, and this is what I mean about mindfulness in the moment. It isn't enough just to meditate in the mornings or weekends or anything else. Mindfulness in the way I'm talking about it is being able to pay attention to what's going on while you're doing the thing that's going on. That's the real practice. So you're in the middle of a conversation and you're noticing how the other person's reacting and you're noticing how you're reacting. And there's a bit of you that's going, okay, so what's the next thing? It's actually asking the question, what do I need to do next? What do I need to do next? You're not just reacting to things. You can, you can, you can still use some of the things that were your habits, but then they, they now become a choice from a wider set of options. So instead of just letting your autopilot run everything, you have access to everything that's in your autopilot and you have choices as to whether to do something that is not the thing your autopilot would have chosen. And that's the real practice. And you're going to ask me how you do that. And I'm going to come back to what we said before. And the, the answer question. is, yeah. well, or actually back to the whole thing. You can't do any of this unless you practice paying attention to yourself and what's going on in the moment. Mm. And that's really hard, particularly if you get, um, anxious, stressed, any of those things, right? The situations where you're, where you're with someone else and it isn't working. So that takes loads of practice. So that's why things like, you know, meditation and you know, yoga and all those other things help you pay attention to and notice and manage your body reactions first, because they pop up faster than anything else. So, so you've got to get good at doing some of that stuff. Um, then, then when you notice you can start, um, uh, practicing other choices and you do that simply with the questions so it kind of comes back to the things we were talking about earlier is notice what's going on breathe pause try and move if you can stand up walk around if that's the option uh, when you're tied to headphones it's not so easy mm -hmm. um but 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 practice moving practice stretching practice breathing and then and then come back to the questions now it gets way more complicated than that but I can't explain all of that because it's too complicated. So I keep coming back to the basics because nothing else happens without those three things. So for anyone who's, you know, I said before, I get kind of grumpy now at um, the big consulting firms that I used to work for, right? I used to be part of one of those things coming in with a big comprehensive, deep, complicated process. And I haven't got anything against design thinking, but lots of people use those big complicated processes thinking the process will fix stuff without helping people do the, you know, the question you asked before of how do you, how do you help people get into the room and relax enough and pay attention enough that they can have a really creative conversation where things might come out of it that they wouldn't have come out before. And what I've learned over the years is the process matters, but a big complicated process will not substitute for, helping people with their breath and their awareness and their attention and giving them some simple instructions and helping them learn to drive. 
mm. right? Which is, which is all a good driving instructor does. A good driving instructor sits alongside you, gives you the basics and adds to it. You know, once you've learned one bit, then they add something else, they add something else. You practice. Uh, so the act of learning is not what someone tells you. The act of learning is you practicing stuff. And, and this is the only way this works. Hmm. It sounds like you'd be a pretty good driving instructor. And I, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I guess I, I think we've kind of covered a lot of the bases that I was hoping to, mm. and, and even some that I wasn't really, you know, that I couldn't see coming, which kind of ties you back into everything we're talking about. Um, I, is there, is there a direction that I can maybe able to point listeners to, to if they wanted some coaching? So I'm assuming you'd be doing things online now that COVID. Yeah, I've of- been, Okay, so on that, it, the interesting thing for me is I've been doing coaching online for uh, the past five years, pretty much. Um, I'm doing it anyway. Didn't set yeah. Out, yeah, yeah, I didn't set, it, set out to do it that way. And that, that's been one of my learnings. So if I go back, you know, 20 years, I would have said, oh, remote coaching can't work. It has to be face-to-face, all the rest of it. <clears throat> and that was one of my limitations, right? And, I've, and I've, part of the reason that I've kind of really simplified and focused down to the things that make the difference is to really work out what makes a difference when you're doing this kind of stuff remotely. Mm. Um, if, if people want to find me, it's, <clears throat> there's all kinds of ways they can do it. They could just look at, um, you know, you know, Twitter, Alan J on it. Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn, just search for my name. My website is ex, uh, the Um, and I think I've kind of been around, I've been around a long time. So if you just search for my name, I'm not sure I appear on page one on Google, but I kind of pop up on page two or three. I think probably it'll be probably it'll be my LinkedIn reference or something like that. But uh, mm. there aren't there aren't there aren't many people around with my name. I did find originally when I uh, when I was kind of setting up in business that uh, there is a really famous guy called Alan Arnett in the states who's a mountaineer who's kind of climbed Everest and things. And I I did occasionally get emails for, for him from people asking me advice on yeah i saw that guy i saw that guy recently when i was doing a bit of research and i saw there was a basketball (laughs) player as well so you've got a couple couple out there but a couple out there but yeah and you know um you know i coach people all over the world as well so well you know time zones don't matter either so and and i'm always happy just to have chats with people and i always say that i'd rather have a conversation with someone than try and write a detailed 12 page proposal because it's like neither of us will know what's going on so yeah, yeah and you say you're trying to connect with advice. people at the moment. That was like something yeah. you're focusing on. Yeah, and I and I I always really like as well, um, uh, just pointing people at you know solutions. So if someone's got a question, uh, and the question can only really be answered by by coaching, I'll tell them. But if someone's got a question and there's a web page, I can point them out. I'll point them at the web page because there's a whole load of stuff out there. It's like I'm not the only person doing this stuff, right? But I do think that I've been doing it long enough and. I, th- I like to think that one of the things that makes me a bit different is I've, I've applied all this stuff to myself. This is not just some theory that I've learned on a training course somewhere. I've got to this place by testing it out I'm on myself and with loads of other people. So I kind of know what it feels like to make the transition. Yeah. Um, and, and that whole thing about it, you know, like learning to, at one level, you never stop learning to drive, but you just stop paying so much attention to it after a while. And I think there's a lot about, uh, you know, for anyone, as we said before, you know, the Marshall Goldsmith thing. If anyone's feeling stuck, feeling confused, wondering what to do next, just looking for other options, it's always worth a conversation. Sometimes that turns into a long coaching process. Sometimes it's, you know, 30 minutes on a phone and it's done. 
Yeah, I guess something for me that was kind of holding me back around the idea of coaching was that I'm trying to help people through, uh, through to get to certain things, I guess, maybe not so much on their own, but I'm trying to give them some, some tools to be able to do that. And I felt as though if I was going to ask for help, which is something I'm learning to do more and more uh, recently, only recently in the last couple of months, but I think I, I used to feel like it was kind of like an easy way out, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, but I don't feel like that anymore. And I do see the value in like, if you do need to get some assistance or speak to other people and build some relationships, if it's any help, if it's any help, I, I, you know, on any of the psychometric scales, I'm a raving introvert, right? So even though people don't don't seem like him, no, that's what most people say. It's like, how can you talk for hours and be an introvert? And I said, well, there's a, there's a, there's a distinction for me now between introversion and, um, shyness and confidence right so introversion in in my understanding of all the work i've done and how i show up now is introversion just means i'm self-referenced which for me just means if i'm stressed if i'm tired if i'm anxious or if i've had a busy day the thing i want to do is go and be on my own Mm. for an extrovert if they've had a stressful busy day the thing they want to do is go and connect with other people they might just want to sit and talk but they want to go and connect with other people so so introversion and extroversion from my point of view is just kind of you know where your energy comes from that's different from introverts can also uh you know i was really shy as a kid really lacked confidence but that's a different thing so then my default of if i encountered something where i was insecure not very sure you know, the obvious thing to do is isolate and the correlation of that is not asking for help. So I am still the world's worst at asking for help. (laughs) Part Mm. part of the reason I've worked so much on me and this stuff is so I don't have to ask other people for help. On the other hand, I've got really good now at coaching myself to this position of, okay, what's actually going on here? I've I've tried all my kinds of things I can do and I haven't fixed it. So I'm going to have to go and find some help from someone. You get to that point. And I've kind of accelerated that process. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, Oh, it's a really, it's, so I've got much better now at um, asking for help on particular things, but it, you know, it it still depends. And again, there's that whole thing that we're taught to do. I said it before, but it's like most people in most organizations get to the point where if you're doing a job, particularly any kind of leadership level from kind of first level of supervisor up to anyone else, Mm. Uh, it's kind of that whole thing of don't show weakness. Um, if I, you know, if I ask a question, that means people think I don't know what I'm doing and I can't tell them I don't know what I'm doing. When in fact, as a coach, everyone I talk to doesn't know what they're doing to a degree. So right, the minute they start to talk to me, they tell me all the things they're worried about, their anxieties that, you know, there's, you know, there's even a name for it, right? Imposter syndrome, mm. which is, which is the mindset we all get when we get stuck and we don't know what to do next. And we somehow feel guilty or ashamed or embarrassed at getting stuck in which is kind of that's that's almost the heart of all of this for me (laughs) if i've learned anything else it's like but it's called being human right you know you said before right none of us has the whole picture none of us can know everything you know i don't know how to dance the pas de deux from swan lake but then i've got no particular interest in learning that so i don't get embarrassed at not knowing it Mm. but if there's something that means a lot to me and i don't know how to do it then I start to go, hold on a minute. This is a bit, mm. one of the things that I, that I do for myself every year is I send myself off to do something that really matters to me. That's going to stretch me a bit and make me 
revisit that embarrassing thing again. And one of the things for me is going off to do some kind of art course. So That's when I was a kid, I when I was a kid, I used to draw all the time. And then at various times, without going into the whole psychology of it, I just got taught by life that that was not a very useful thing to do. And I just stopped. And, you know, my, my sister and my brothers now even now go, you used to draw a lot. Why don't you do that anymore? <laughs> it's, it's complicated. Um, but I did kind of, it, um, I kept it up to a degree when I trained as an engineer, I would do, you know, technical drawing. And mm. I've definitely still got some interest in that. So I've sent myself off to do um, watercolors and oil painting and paper making and silversmithing and all kinds of other things. And every time I, and I, I, I book myself on the course, really excited. And every time I walk into whatever studio or room with the other people in it, all right, if it was just me, it'd be okay. But because the studio always has other people in it as well as an introvert, as I walk in through that door, it's like my first driving lesson again. <laughs> well, then, that's probably and, a good thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's I do an it because uh, it's good. You know? Yeah, sorry. I'm kind of looking around here because I'm thinking I haven't got anything, but I've kind of really enjoyed it. I've produced all kinds of really interesting stuff. And I still have the question of why don't I do more of it? And it's kind of, that's, that's my journey, right? My ongoing journey mm. is to do more of that stuff and learn what it takes. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I think it's great that you've gotten yourself or coached yourself to the point of actually pushing yourself off that little cliff and, and doing that, even though it does feel so uncomfortable and, it is a really rewarding thing connecting to our own creativity and, and exploring that area, especially if you've, if you haven't, you know, if you've kind of shied away from that since you're a child. I just, I also just wanted to say, you know, you asked a question of earlier of how do you, you know, create the space for people to explore things. Yeah. And I just wanted to say, you've actually done that really easily for me. So this is my first ever interview for a podcast. Oh, really? Ever. Yeah. So, uh, the TEDx thing was the first time that I've been, uh, you know, videoed publicly and this is my first ever interview like this and you made this really easy so thank you oh well i appreciate you saying that yeah it's something i've been trying to i just put a bit more focus towards because i i've noticed sometimes that i can i can not be mindful and, and kind of just although i i find my feet and, and connect to my truest sense i want to be i'm trying to learn how to really speak from a place that's real as possible and and yeah. not from a place of these scripts and stories and this automation and, you know, these like small talk and all this kind of bullshit. I'm really trying to come from a place that is real in this moment with you here. And, and I think a lot, a big part of that is inviting other people into that space by creating, you know, a comfortable environment. So I appreciate okay, so, saying that. Um, I know we are closing and it's going to, mm. at some mm. point you, your face is going to disappear and then we'll be finished, but here's oh, it's my still tip. not gone yet. I thought I was gone, <laughs> but I was just teeny. <laughs> Here's, 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 here's my tip for that bit. So when you're um, talking about, you know, trying to speak from that other place, the thing to do is take the pressure off yourself for, you know, at some level, your autopilot is asking the question of, what does it really mean to speak from that special place? I need to work mm. out what it means to speak from that special place. It's like, mm. wait, 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 pause, right? It's just pause, breathe. I think it's the and breath. Just, yeah, the breath helps. It's it's the it's it's the breath. It's the clearing out, and it's the doing things like okay. So, what's the question? What would be a really useful question to ask now? What would be an interesting question to ask? What's mm. the question that's bubbling up for me? Right. I think mm. you said this as well before. I've I've kind of learned more than anything that um, it's about creating the space, just like we talked about creating the space for other people, 
actually that's a okay here's something that i've learned from this as well is that just as we've talked about creating the space for other people i think what we're doing when we talk about mindfulness and breath and everything else is just creating space inside ourselves mm. for something to come up from a different place mm. i kind of just pressing the pause button for our autopilot for a minute and go hold on a minute yeah, yeah yeah i know you've got all these answers but i just want to check in here for a minute and see what comes up and oh okay so this question's just occurred to me so so just practicing not kind of what's the theory of mindfulness so I can always do it and what would that always mean, but just kind of going here now in this moment, mm. what's the, yeah, what do I do? Do I just let him ramble for another five minutes? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I can always edit it later. Do I, oh, okay, here's a question. So now it feels like I want to ask a question. And I think it's that feeling our way into a conversation as much as thinking our way into it is, mm. is you know, another way of describing what we've both been talking about yeah yeah i i yeah it's just i guess i've got one more question i really wanted to ask you okay. when i got you here and 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 yeah. feel free to kind of answer it in, in whichever way you like and it comes back to a personal thing that i feel like you might have an interesting take on okay. I'm, i guess i'm uh, i guess it's i guess this feeling of of not knowing kind of what that clear picture of the outcome is and, yep. and you know readjusting and 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 making a plan and going towards that that direction but the plan's never the most solid because that direction isn't the clearest and then readjusting yep. again it's like it feels a little bit too much at times do you, have okay. you have any experience with that at all like like for example uh, you you've got you've got an idea of what you want but you're not quite sure if that's really what you want but you've got a feeling that that's the right thing to be doing but then there could okay. be another way to get there this is going to take about 10 minutes, I think. Is that okay? Oh, if you've got the time, sure. But yeah, you, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. That's fine. Okay. So what I'm going to do is, is ask you to pause and breathe, right? Mm. Now, for like 30 seconds or something, I'm just going to go quiet. And you just do whatever your centering process is that you do to kind of center yourself in the moment, right? So kind of turn the brain off for a minute of trying to answer the question. Mm. and just kind of breathe and connect with the ground and connect with your body and do that. And I'm going to shut up and you just tell me when you're in that place. Okay. I'm there. <laughs> Sorry. I'm only laughing because I did a whole course on um, mindful coaching recently where they give you all these scripts Mm. And I bypass all the scripts and I just say to people, do whatever you normally do. Because mm. <laughs> everyone's got a way, right? Okay. So now you're there, just kind of breathe in and out a few times through your body and just feel the energy in your body. And without thinking about the question itself, just ask yourself, where in your body is that question? Now, that's a really odd question for me to ask you, right? But if I had to say the part of you that's asking this question about trying to clarify direction and plans, the part that gets anxious and stressed, where, where is that question? So don't try and answer it, but just try and, try and locate it in your body. Yeah, I feel like it's in my chest. I, I, I know okay. it probably should be coming from my mind, but I feel like it's no, in no, my no. chest. Yeah. Okay, cool. So how do you know it's in your chest? What's the sensation you get? in your chest that lets you know it's there it's it's almost as if i've had a shot of coffee and i've just kind okay. of 
Yeah, just the the heart's beating a bit quicker and and the chest is a bit um it's expanded and I can feel I can feel the energy there. Okay. All right. So just sit with that for a moment and just notice the feeling. Again, don't don't kind of think about it, but just sit with the feeling. Mm. And <laughs> this I'm going to give you some weird instructions, right? Lots of these might feel weird. But I just want you to quietly in your head just say welcome to that part of your chest and, mm. and that feeling. Mm. Right? And say Oh, okay. Hi. Welcome to the conversation. Mm. So don't try and tell it anything. Don't try and do anything with it. Just say, welcome to the conversation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, um, while you're, while you're kind of noticing that that's there, I want you to go back to the original, to, to kind of search in your body again and just search for where in your body, is uh not the answer but the part of you that can that can help your chest and your heartbeat um sort this out and you know move forward so i feel like if you like stomach yeah oh okay okay so 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 how do you know it's in your stomach because it it feels it, I guess my chest feels a bit tense, but the stomach feels relaxed and feels like he knows what's going on. Okay. So just welcome your stomach to the conversation as well then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> this is going to sound weird. Um, just ask your stomach if it, he, she, whatever, can um, see your chest. Mm. Yeah. And then ask, ask your um, stomach if it could just give your chest one simple piece of advice, what would that advice be? Just calm down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And ask, ask your stomach again, so if your chest calmed down, what would, what would then be possible? To, to feel into it. Okay. So now go back to your chest and ask your chest, um, first of all, can, can it, see your stomach you know does it know it's there mm -hmm. yeah uh and secondly ask your chest just to listen to the advice uh to relax and feel feel its way into things mm -hmm. and then ask your chest what what what's different now now it's got that advice from your stomach what is your What's your um, chest feeling like now? Yeah, it's definitely calmer. It definitely feels more, less tense, I guess, less, less, um, and more relaxed. Yeah. Okay. So that. if it's, yeah. so if it's, if it's more relaxed, what can, what can your chest, and you were talking about your heartbeat, now that your heartbeat's more relaxed and your chest is more relaxed, what can your, what is your, um, chest feel like would be a good next step 
what is it what does it feel like what what difference it's what do you mean oh if if it okay so if it had to that that's good by the way the the fact that your words were a bit uh, garbled then again there 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 what mm. <laughs> is is a sense that your body's making sense of this right so if we just link together the things that you've just come up with yourself which is the the chest and the heart was kind of tense and your stomach knows that it could relax so the chest can begin to relax and we were talking about the chest saying feeling its way into things rather than thinking its way into things so if if you ask your chest and your heart what it what it feels would be the good next step for you to try and make progress on this thing that you've been you know struggling with what is your what does your heart and your chest feel would be the next thing for you to do I just just keep going just keep going and, and just keep kind of um just keep doing what I'm doing, really, um, which is interesting. Mm. So just keep doing it. The, and okay, two things there, right? First of all, so <laughs> so if you just think, right? So we, we have to kind of go into the body and then come back out and make sense of it again for the mm. thinking part, right? Mm. The autopilot. So what you've what you've done there really quickly. And by the way, you were really good at this. I. <laughs> I wasn't sure how long it would take, but I kind of got a sense from you from talking and the fact that you're into all this stuff, mm. you could access those parts of you really fast, right? Lots of people have no idea what I'm talking about when mm. I say breathe into your chest or talk to it or whatever. So you've already got some really good, what I'd call core skills for this, but you've also done something really important, which is just very quickly, you just connected your head, your heart and your gut. And I, you know, I had no idea when I was asking the questions where you were going to go. I can, I can kind of guess and make assumptions, but sometimes people say to me, okay, the problem's in my right shoulder and the answer's in my left little toe. <laughs> they, go, they go all over the place. But if you just think that what you've just learned in, in, in a kind of rational sense is you're already doing the right thing, you are going to get stuck sometimes and it will get tense. But actually two things, you're, you're heading in the right direction to keep going but you've got another ally to help you with that. It's like when, you're, when your head and then your chest get stuck, go to your gut, right? Mm. Go to your stomach and out our stomach. You know, there's lots of different, you know, labels for this stuff. I don't, people dismiss intuition and instinct. And if you, if you, if you read the, um, the Daniel Kahneman stuff, mm. they talk about instinct and intuition as that, the same thing as that being the really fast thing. I don't actually think that's true. I think we've got, a kind of instinctive reactive self, which is the um, autopilot. But I think what you've just done is contacted your, di is different. It's a deeper intuition. It's like going down into your gut and going, actually, that, and, and, your, and your gut doesn't have to say anything very complicated. It just said, Ashley, you're fine, relax. I can see that. You can't. But it's kind of going to a different perspective within yourself. Yeah, that's fascinating. And, it's really interesting. Yeah. And it's, and it is just, I mean, that structure, what I did then, I've actually never done that way. I just blended together some bits that I know from somatics with a, um, actually an NLP technique, which is about, um, uh, hypnosis you know, or something. 
no it's kind of um it's what they call parts work it's like if you've got this part that says this thing and this part that says that thing Mm. what if that part gave that advice and what you're talking about is we get we get stuck right you know we said before about there, there is this really physical thing that happens to all of us which is when we're stuck one of the things that happens is that our breathing goes up into our chest you know i'm doing it now because i'm getting excited and i stop breathing and my voice mm. and we actually lose our core our gut right and we're even taught in western society you know i'm i'm 60 and overweight and i've got a big waist we're we're taught to hold our waist in to to look clean and and mm. and, and 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 mean and all the rest of it it's like no for goodness sake if you're going to breathe properly you've got to let your gut operate at a kind of chemical level and everything else right so there's some there's some kind of logical rational things for this but i think um the advice <laughs> the advice is boring but still the same right this is a practice and your autopilot will continue to keep asking you the question are we there yet are we there yet have we fixed it yet and because it because it wants it to be finished and over and it's your kind of wiser uh heart gut conversation that has to keep saying what do you mean are we there yet there is no there right there will always be situations that we get into where we get anxious and stressed it's just that we'll get better at you know coming back to them i i first learned some of this a long time ago i said i've done and it's the hardest practice of all i've done lots of different somatic things and I did some stuff with a guy who's a uh, trained psychologist, but he's also like a seventh Dan black belt in Aikido. Mm. And I don't know if you've ever done any martial arts work. Yeah. Um, you know, Aikido is all about going with the, going with the energy, the energy right? Flopper, using yeah. the, using the energy of what's there and, you know, um, guiding it a different way. And um, we did some, <laughs> I always know I'm about to say something that's important to me when I'm moving myself. <laughs> so so um, we, uh, we, we did some things which were just practicing what was called being grabbed. So you just had to walk around a room, you know, imagine a room with 50 people in it and you had to walk around the room and people would sneak up behind you and grab you on the shoulder. And when someone grabs you on, his, on the shoulder, we're, all of our bodies instinctively tense up, right? It's like, even though we know it's happening, when it actually happens, it's like, oh, shit, what's that? And we were just practicing what happens when we get triggered and kind of how to relax and come back again. And this guy walked around the dojo for the whole, you know, we were there for two days doing all kinds of things. And towards the end of the second day, we were kind of doing a big circle and a close down. And someone was going, oh, but, you know, how comes, you know, you're saying we have to practice this stuff, but you, you seem like you get, uh, you know, you seem like you don't get triggered at all now. You're like some kind of Zen master gliding around the room. What is it you do that's different? And he just stared straight back at this guy and said, because he was essentially accusing this guy of not getting triggered anymore. You must have some trick that actually stops you getting triggered anymore. He said, no, I get triggered all the time. I just choose not to let it dictate what I do. And that was the moment when I kind of, you know, it's another one of those moments when I looked at him and went, shit, what? What did he just say? And it's for me, it was the beginning of the insight into some kind of separation between that autopilot reactive self and kind of notice if you can notice that you're reacting. The question then becomes who's doing the noticing, right? So, in we kind of learn for a long time that you know, I am stressed, I am tense, I am confused, I am anxious, I'm but you're not scared, of those whatever, yeah. right? It's like all those things are true, and mm. 
you can practice noticing it. Once you notice it, the question is, well, who the hell's doing the noticing then? Because mm. over here, that stuff's happening, but there's something else here, and this is still me. Shit, when did that, when did that happen? <laughs> right. mm. And that's what you've just practiced as well at some level, and you do this anyway, right? We all do this anyway, but it's a, I often think that lots of the stuff that I do is about making it explicit, and you've, you, were, you were really good at helping yourself make those explicit distinctions. It's like, I can tell where the stress is, and it's here. And I can tell where the strength or the answer is, and it's down here. And it's actually quite physical and basic. And by the way, none of that involved analyzing the problem and trying to come up with a really smart answer. All yeah, of that that's really interesting. All of that conversation was about your body. And then it's like, well, okay, so once I kind of see it in a different way, what do I need to do next? And, you know, I've, <laughs> I probed it a couple of times because I was looking for you not to be able to have an answer because it's like, well, I don't know what to do next. There's no need for me to do anything. Great. You've just, you've just solved the problem of sitting there. Hmm. You know, you were kind of 15 minutes ago, you were asking the question, what do I do with this? And then essentially your response is, okay, well, I just keep going. Okay. Right. It's like almost something that it's, yeah, exactly. It's almost something that it's, it's already that knowing's already there. It's like, we kind of, we kind of, in a way we fool ourselves into believing that we we're kind of stuck when we're really okay with, with certain things or we need it. I mean, we can, we can change things, but I I feel as though like the answers are, are kind of almost already there, aren't they? There is a, there is a deep belief in the coaching world that every client has everything inside them that they need to fix everything. Now I'm not completely okay with that because sometimes they just haven't had the life experiences or learned some stuff that they could sure. do with learning. Right. It's, but, but there is also, it is, it is true. You know, you and by the way, one thing I have to say <laughs> talking to you for the past two hours is that you are really good at this stuff, right? You're really good at making the connections going, but surely that means that. And all the time I'm sitting there going, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's like, you know, discovering these things. And, uh, you know, particularly in the, it's a bit different because you're in Australia, right? But if I, I do that generalization between the West and the East, right? Yeah, so yeah. lots of, you know, Eastern um, disciplines and practices have got some of this stuff nailed down, right? And in the West, we still predominantly prefer the mode of operation that all happens up here. And you have to be smart and intelligent and you have to have all the right answers and you have to be in control and you have to be in charge. Uh, and you, it's like, you know, nothing about your physical existence matters unless maybe you're a gymnast or a, you know, a footballer or something. But I think we just miss so much of what's going on. It's kind of, if all of us shows up, then there's all kinds of stuff going on inside us that is part of who we are. And if we don't pay attention to it, then we're just leaving part of ourselves out. Definitely, definitely, and and yeah, it's it's almost as if we're we're walking around like, and we hardly know what's going on most of the time, and and I, I think that's true. <laughs> yeah, and we you just know, but we but we like to think we we know we like to think that we've got things sorted, and it's just kind of, I I guess this kind of a game that we play. I'll leave you with this thought. Okay, so you, you, you used the word earlier, hypnosis, when I mentioned NLP, and there are connections between the things, right? But uh, the other word for hypnosis Do you know why I trance. mentioned that? I mentioned that because yeah. my, my first ever self-help book or whatever was, was one yeah. I read when I was younger on how to pick up women. 
and there was <laughs> there was a section in it about NLP and and like yeah. hypnotizing women on dates or something and that's <sighs> and and it was super strange but that kind of came to my mind and and I remember thinking like this is weird do people actually do this okay let me just all right let me just i keep saying we're going to finish and then we come on to something else right five minutes quickly so <laughs> nlp neurolinguistic program came from originally some people who were being trained as therapists in the states mm. who were being taught by people who were then the best therapists around so there was a guy called milton milton erickson who um used to use hypnosis there was a woman called virginia satir who was a family therapist and they'd got really good at doing stuff but they didn't really know why they were good they just kind of work stuff out and they did stuff and it worked mm. and there were some uh, students of theirs who were watching what they were doing and they were kind of thinking oh this is all too slow we can't we can't be bothered to learn to to do this stuff um the slow way by practice over years we want a shortcut and they started asking the question of what is it they do that makes the difference out of all the things you know if they watch milton Erickson with a client doing therapy with them for half an hour or an hour they would ask the question of in that hour out of all of the things you did which were the things that actually made the difference and milton cut the fat out. Like, yeah yeah and milton erickson would go i don't know you know i just do all of it and it works because he's because he was reacting to what was going on but they were they were keen and they go right we're, the, the kind of core nlp question is what's the difference that makes the difference and they then experimented with all kinds of things and they called that process modeling and they would kind of go, oh, okay, so if you say that in this kind of way, that seems to lead to this. And if you do that, and they, they came up with all these patterns. So the basis of NLP is actually just paying attention to yourself, right? If you turn it into um, hypnotizing yourself rather than, <laughs> and not, not hypnosis, but paying attention to yourself rather than anyone else, it's the question of what am I doing that's, that um, makes a difference and is useful? And what am I doing that's not making a difference and isn't useful, right? Back to the, what we've been talking about the whole time. Um, and that process is called modeling. And you kind of look at the model and you do less of the bits that don't work and more of the bits that do work. Oh, that's interesting. The, key, disti the mm -hmm. key distinction for me is that you choose which bits you do and you stay paying attention to it. You don't hypnotize yourself into another trance. Now, the problem with NLP is a whole lot of people who wanted shortcuts don't don't learn NLP to do the modeling process. They learn NLP for the models. There's a whole load of shortcut models, which are hypnotized people into doing things you want. So mm. one, some of the training I did, one of the guys, one of the guys, one of the really well-known trainers in the world turned up and halfway through day two of his program, he said, by now you would have seen all my books and you know, CDs at the back of the room. Now by now in NLP is what's called an embedded command by buy, B-U-Y, you know, if you're not paying attention, then by now it's just a thing of, well, you know, by now you would have noticed it. But in NLP, it's an embedded command, buy my books now. And he said this thing in front of a room full of people who were training in NLP. And everyone in the room looked at him and went, fuck off. It's just, really? You're trying embedded commands on us? Because proper NLP is about awareness and attention and modeling. It's not about the nonsense that drives me nuts of, you know, hypnotize women to get them to sleep with you, hypnotize people to buy stuff from you, yeah. hypnotize people to do blah, 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 right? It's like, no, that's going, it is possible to do that because we are all in trances all, all day. So the other, the kind of generalization about this is, are you hypnotizing people? And I kind of go, well, it's almost the reverse. We're all in trances all the time. And people go, what do you mean? 
well, you're, you're going through your day based on a series of stories and habits that you're telling yourself. That's a trance. Yeah. If you're not paying attention to what's in front of you, that's a trance. And by the way, one of the things we've done in the past 20 or 30 years that increases that, <clears throat> the fastest way to hypnotize someone is to get them to stare at a fixed point in space for a long time, for a long period of time with some droning voice going on in the background. And that's called staring at a computer screen. Mm. So staring at a fixed point in space all day puts you into a trance. Mm. And we then wonder why people don't say stupid, why they say stupid things on Twitter, why they don't answer emails, why they, it's because when you're staring at the screen, most of the time, we're not paying attention. It's that simple. There are definitely ways to, I guess, free yourself from that trance or at least yep. to some extent, because, um, yeah, uh, well, well, maybe not, but there's definitely ways yeah. to kind of step away oh. from that and for oh. a moment. So what one of the, and, and we've, and we've talked about all of them, right? So yeah, we've talked exactly. about breathing, pausing, listening questions. Most and the other them. one is, and the other one is literally walking away and it kind of feels to me like we should do that now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could go on for hours, couldn't we? I did warn you. Thank you for tuning into another conversation on the Today Dreamer podcast. It's been great. It's been great fun having these conversations recently. And it's something that I know that I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. So I'm really happy that you guys are on this journey with me. And I hope that you're experiencing this great feeling um, that I'm getting after every conversation. And that is just kind of like, wow, like, wow, like just, just speaking to these people is really making me feel like, I don't know, it's this sense of connection. It's this sense of, you know, everything's okay. Everything is in the right place. And um, it's this sense of really, you know, self, you know, working on myself and, and learning more every day and being open to other people's perspectives and hearing other people's points of view about, you know, their process and finding ways to utilize that within my own life and my own journey. So yeah, I really hope that some of that's, you know, going through to you guys as well, um, because that's the reason I'm here. So um, if you're enjoying the show, please consider subscribing and I'd love uh, for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're hearing the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, feel free to just leave a comment or connect in some way. I'd really appreciate that. And it, and, and it makes this more of a kind of a reciprocal thing. So, you know, um, we're kind of helping each other out on this journey. So feel free to do all that if you feel called to. Otherwise, I'll catch you in the next episode next week.